0: Good morning, everybody. Um, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to be up here uh, today. And uh, I know a lot of you may not know a lot of what's going on in the background, but I just want you to know, uh, those of you that are here, that are with us, uh, there is so much grace that God has shown to me through this church, uh, walking with these elders, uh, walking with this family. And I'm just, I just couldn't be more happy, uh, more humbled and uh, really just more excited to, to be here. So I just want to offer a sincere thank you to uh, this church family. Thank you. Amen. I have the uh, task of wrapping up this First Peter sermon series. And uh, we've been going through this for about three, four weeks now. And uh, the question that is, that is trying to be answered in this First Peter series is this question of how do I stand firm in my faith when the world around me, when the environment around me is kind of trying to knock me off course? How do I stand firm in my faith when there are forces conspiring to kind of knock me off the path? Like how do I do that? Um, Christianity, I don't know if you know this, but Christianity can be difficult enough as it is without anything else going on. But how in the midst of like trial and turmoil and struggle and difficulty, uh, all these voices saying give up, how do I stand firm in the middle of all that? Um, Back in 1967, the 1967 Boston Marathon was like many things at the time, maybe still today, it was kind of an all-boys club. Women were not allowed to run the Boston Marathon. They didn't think women were capable of it. They just, you know, for whatever history, tradition, whatever it was, women weren't allowed to. So some women would sneak in uh, and they would run it anyway. They would just kind of like run with the guys and they would try to, you know, put on a hat or whatever and just run it. Uh, but no woman had officially run the Boston Mar- Marathon. No woman had like signed up, gotten the number, and actually, you know, had their time saved and logged. No woman had ever done that uh, until 1967 when a woman by the name of Catherine Switzer, like she used her initial K, Switzer, so nobody would kick her out, dressed in baggy clothes, signed up, and join the marathon now people around her realized, hey this is a woman and a lot of people were excited they were like oh yeah it's pretty cool wonderful glad you're here all that kind of stuff but not everybody was excited because she was breaking the rules technically she was breaking the rules now she thought she was running for equality and justice and then other people were like look there's a process and you just got to go through the process and so you can't just join and pretend you're something you're not and just run this race So a lot, like I said, a lot of people were glad to see her, but not everybody. Uh, And people did different things. So, for example, some people would, like, stand on the sideline, see a woman, and they would, like, you know, boo and jeer and hiss. You know, it's not so bad. You can keep running through that. Some people would jump out into the roadway, and they would try to say, oh, they changed the course route. It's this way now. So she would just run off down some side street. Some people would try to discourage her by telling her, like, oh, there's only uh, 10 more miles to go, like, at mile 5. You know, try to get in her head mentally. But it was at mile 10 when a reporter went to one of the race officials and said, hey, there's a woman running this race. Now this race official, his job is to keep people from breaking the rules because there's all kinds of crazy folks that want to just, you know, for whatever reason. You know how like when you go to any sort of sporting event and there's some guy that wants to run out on the field and the security has to tackle him? There's all kinds of people that want, you know, their their 10 seconds of fame in a small crowd and they're going to do something wild and crazy to get it. So, this race official, his name was Jock Semple, S E M P L E. So, if you guys want, you know, get bored and want to look this up. Um, he was notified by a reporter that there was a woman officially running the race. Now, his job is to keep these crazy people out of this race. That's his job. That's what he's been tasked with doing. And he sees this woman run by, and he's got to get her out of there. So what you see next on this picture is him trying to chase her down, grab her number, and he's yelling at her, get out of my race, get out of my race. He's in charge of this, and he's trying to get her out of this race. Now... What he didn't know, and kind of unfortunately for him, the big guy right there in the sweatshirt was her boyfriend. (laughs) And he also played football. So he laid a block on this poor guy and he was taken out, like, you know, rolled off to the curb there in the gutter, had to pick himself off. And he was like, well, I mean, what what are you going to do now? You know, what are you going to do now? But can you imagine, you know, running a marathon? Most of us can't imagine running a marathon. Or maybe more accurately, that's all we can do. Like, we're never going to do it. All we can do is, like, imagine. That would be awful. We've invented cars now. Why run a marathon? There's no reason, right? Most of us can't figure, like, I know there's a few people in here who have done that. And good for you. Excellent job. Wonderful. But I'm not going to do it. Just going to get a bike. Uber. <laughs> I don't know. Something. Uber. <laughs> Little plug, give him some business. But can you imagine trying to run a marathon? I mean, it's hard enough, but then you got people pointing you in the wrong direction, people telling you you can't do it, people telling you you're not supposed to be there, and then somebody actually trying to tackle you and take you off the course. Can you imagine that? And I think that's what the reality First Peter's trying to speak into. Christianity is difficult enough as it is. He's asking us to sacrifice our lives. And then on top of that, there, we live in an environment that's trying to knock us off course. How do we stand firm in an environment, in a situation, in a society that says... You can't do this. You shouldn't do this. I want to pull you back. I want to pull you down. And so 1 Peter, uh, maybe he's like that boyfriend running alongside. He's saying, you can do this. Stand firm. I got your back. That's what 1 Peter is all about. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, this is toward the end of the book. And, and he's summing up what he's been writing. And he writes this. He says, the God of grace. This is so beautiful. The God of grace. After you have suffered a little while. And he's probably underselling the suffering a little bit. And what they were dealing with is drastically different than the stuff that we call suffering here today. Says, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Boy, that sounds good. And he wraps up this letter by saying, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. That's the point of this book. Stand fast in it. In grace. And I think what we could probably say, 1 Peter is about how we experience and how we express grace even when our faith is being undermined or challenged. 1 Peter is how we experience God's grace and express God's grace to other people when our faith is being challenged or undermined. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back into the middle of the book, into the middle of 1 Peter, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I think uh, is, is all about expressing grace. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. This is what it says. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with in- insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called... That you may inherit a blessing. Um, I have some volunteers I need if they would come up at this time. A couple of volunteers. A couple of six volunteers. Come on up, guys. You guys are going to help me out. So I need you to stand up kind of lining here. Good looking guys and ladies. Here we go. Drew, you're going to hold that up. These are just the words. These are just the qualities in this passage. And Kellen, you don't have a sign. Not because I don't want you up here. And not because you're being left out. I have another plan for you here in just a second. So you wait right there, okay? I got a plan. I got a plan. So we're looking at this verse, right? We've got this verse here. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble, and then whatever Kellen wants to say. You know, just add it on there. Just add a little extra there. We'll use Kellen in a second. So we've got all these things. Now, this is a great list of things. But I want to point out, I think, a couple of important uh, points about this list. Those are good, right? Be like-minded humble sympathetic those are good right wow we do not have a very supportive audience for the bible here like we're in the a church these are good things right these are good things all right, all right, there we go. We can, the, the amen still work. That's wonderful. All right, so when you think about this, I think we look at, we tend to do this, and it's just kind of our natural, concrete way of thinking. We tend to look at a list like this, and we tend to see, like, sort of a checklist to do. All right, so 1 Peter's telling us, I need to be like-minded. All right, how do I do that? What do I do there? I need to be sympathetic. I need to love one another, compassion, humble. I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think he's giving us a checklist any more than you could, like, go into your pantry and get, eat, uh, you know, some flour, eat a few eggs, eat some sugar, and say, I just have had cake that's not how that works i mean you may be really desperate that's not how that works you can't just take an ingredient here and there and say oh now i'm showing grace to other people these ingredients so to speak work together they allow us to show grace to one another so it's not just like these are a checklist that you just sort of like oh i got this one i got this one but all these qualities do you see something similar about all these qualities all these qualities are about getting on someone's side all these qualities are about getting someone side. Let me let me give you an example, Kellen. This is where you come in. This is gonna be really hard, but I think you can do this. I want you to face this way. That's it. Good job. All right, excellent work. Okay, uh, and we're gonna use we're gonna use Drew here. And Drew, you're gonna face this way. All right, Drew and Kellen are in conflict. They're squaring off, they're facing one another Something has happened, I don't know what I could maybe make some guesses Maybe uh, Kellen didn't show up to church last week And Drew said something about it It's like, oh I didn't see you last week Now, Drew didn't mean anything negative by that He just was like, I missed you, I didn't see you But Kellen, he's a little defensive Because he slept in last week And he's feeling like, are you calling me out? I heard somebody say today Kellen was attending Box Springs Church of Christ, right? That's a good one He was there. I was more of a thinker than I thought. You guys were like slow to get in. All right. So Kellen's a little defensive. And he's like, oh, well, you know, and he's he's bristling because they're squaring up. They're facing each other. So Kellen responds to Drew and he says something like, well, hey, at least when I show up, I show up on time. Now, this is a little bit of a sore spot for Drew. Because Drew does struggle with being on time and he hates it when people bring that up. It bothers him to no end. It's just like this reputation he has. And most of the time it's not even him and it's his wife. It's not even his fault. <laughs> you didn't know you were married. You guys are learning a lot. You're learning a lot today. And so Drew, who hates that, it's, it bothers him. It, it gets under his skin. He says something to Kellan. He's like, oh, oh, I didn't realize you were the punctuality police. I didn't realize that God was looking down on whether or not we showed up on time. There's more important things to to Christianity than showing up at church on time. Now they've really started to get into it, right? They're back and forth. Now this never happens, Uh, Maybe about this subject, but when you have conflict with someone else, have you ever noticed it's just like one comment and it could be innocuous, it could be taken both ways, but it's said and then the other person like comes back with something else. And all of a sudden you're talking about history, Like things way in the past that are this conflict has gotten escalated. Now you don't have to hold up the sign like this because right now you're not trying to be like-minded. So hold that down for a second. But in a second we're going to try to do this. And other parties get dragged into this, you know what I mean? It becomes this whole thing and it started off with Drew making some minor innocent comment about, Hey, I didn't see you at church last Sunday. Every fight you've ever been in involves a process like this. Um, and, and I think this is this is important for us to know. So we are talking. This is conflict. You're squaring off. You're trying to like. I'm 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 in conflict with you. If we employ the stuff First Peter talks about, where Drew begins to ask, ask the question, hmm, how can I be like-minded? How can we get on the same page here? And he starts say, thinking in his mind, like, like Kellen, or, or instead of saying to Kellen, like, hey, I, I missed you last week, he knows that maybe Kellen's going to interpret that negatively. So he goes up to Kellen, and he's like, hey, so good to see you today. Now, he's not, he's not bringing up any the history or anything like that. He's just trying to like tell Kellen he's really glad. How can we get on the same page? And I want you to think about all of these. Each of these qualities is about going from squaring off with someone to getting on, here, let's walk over here. Sorry, I didn't give you any instructions. To getting on their side. And now if he's really concerned about Kellen's spirituality, whether or not he's coming to church, now they're together, they're on the same team. And they can work together to move forward. All these qualities are like that. So, like-mindedness is like, how do we get on the same page? Sympathetic is like, how can I see this from their perspective? Love one another is like, how can I be for them versus for me? Uh, how can I be compassionate? How can I feel something for this person? How can I be humble? How can I serve them? All of these are about getting on their same side. Now you can go back over here, and you can stay right there for a second because I got more to do with you. You guys, you're okay. You need some water or anything? I know this is really, <laughs> this is really difficult. So all these qualities are going, uh, are going from squaring off to trying to get on the same side with someone. That's what it's all about. And I think it's fascinating that the Bible t- talks about this. Because I think sometimes when we think about relational conflict, we think in terms of like, okay, just forgive them. Just let it go. Don't let it get to you. But what the process, where the process begins is how do I get on the same page With this person. How can I see this situation from their perspective? That's where the process begins. And by the way, can I give you a little side note? This is why passive-aggressive behavior is so frustrating. Because a person's pretending like, hey, we're on the same side, at the same time they're lobbing bombs at you. That's why that's so frustrating. You're like, wait a second, we're supposed to be on the same side, and you're attacking me. That's why passive-aggressive behavior is so frustrating. Okay, Kellen, you can stand right there. Actually, I think I'm, I'm done with you guys. So... So remember these qualities like minded, think of Drew, sympathetic, Andrew, love one another, Gracie, wow, we should have given you grace there. Compassionate, Logan, humble, Matthew, and then conflict resolution, just think of Kellen. Thank you guys, you guys did a good job. Thanks for being up there. Appreciate it. How can we get on the same side? Getting on their same side. Is, is about the idea, or it's about the opposite of rushing to judgment. Getting on their same side is about the opposite of rushing to judgment. And I'm no grammar, thesaurus type, but I thought it was a little interesting to me that as a culture, we don't have a term for the opposite of rushing to judgment. We have, we have to employ an entire phrase to create this idea in people's minds. Don't rush to judgment. Don't uh, make assumptions. But we don't have a word that is like that That idea of like, hey, I'm just really generous with the unknown here. I didn't see it at church last week and I'm going to fill that void in my lack of knowledge with something good. It's kind of interesting to me that we don't have a word for that. When we assume the worst, we're squaring off and we're inevitably playing an escalating game. Our goal is like dodgeball to get a direct hit and knock them out. That's what we do when we're squaring off. When we try to be sympathetic or like-minded or humble, we're giving ourselves a chance to get on the same side and at least walk back together. My wife and I went to a movie recently, um, and it, the movie-going experience is I don't know, it's, its pretty much the same everywhere you go. Or, or, or you, I mean, you never know, right, depending on who, who the people you're with are. You know, some people, I'm like, do not talk, be very quiet, do not use your cell phone right, in the movie theater. right? I mean, they have a little PSA at the beginning of every movie I've ever seen in the last three or four years that says, please turn your cell phone off. Everybody's supposed to turn their cell phone off. And there's always that person. They're always that rebel. They're always like, I just want to watch the world burn. We were at this movie and uh, it was about two thirds full, stadium seating, and everybody's sitting on the back two thirds of the theater, except for three people who walked in and they were sitting kind of near the front row. Now we went through the previews We went through the PSA about how turn your cell phone off or the police will come for you and arrest you and drag away your children. We went through the whole thing, right? Turn your cell phone off. It's too bright. It's distracting. Don't be taking a call. Don't be texting, right? Turn your cell phone off. This is true. You can check this with my wife later. We were watching this movie, and as soon as that thing, that PSA about turn your cell phone off, went off the screen, this lady in the front row pulled out her phone And I can only imagine that she turned the brightness all the way up and then she held it at such an angle that everybody in the theater could see this phone. And it was right when the movie starts. So the room gets a little darker, you have the build-up, the credits and all that, and this lady is on her phone right there now I'm thinking like I paid 10 bucks to watch this movie not to watch you scroll through Facebook or whatever it is that you're doing this is driving me nuts but I don't know what to do I don't know how to handle this situation right this lady is doing something and I'm feeling like squaring off with her I'm feeling like we've got some relational conflict but I don't know her I don't know anything about her I don't know what to do but it's bothering me so true story for like 15 minutes At the beginning of this movie, she's on her phone, lighting up the whole room. And I feel like everybody in the room besides her is kind of on the same page. We're all kind of like, man, what is going on? Somebody's got to do something. So finally, there's a lull in the movie. It gets a little little calm. And way from the back, there comes this voice (laughs) that says, it wasn't me, that says, turn your cell phone off. I think that's God. I think you need to listen to that voice i'm just i'm you know this has gone from like just normal annoyance to now we have drama i mean people are not paying attention to the screen anymore because whatever that story was is not quite as interesting as what's unfolding before us we have drama in the theater the voice from on high has reminded you of the truth to which we all ascribe that you must turn your cell phone off in the theater we heard we heard uh, the the announcements we heard the little film Turn your cell phone off. The voice has said, turn your cell phone off. Now, this is interesting to me. Because, I mean, I think as a society, we agree on some of these. It's a social contract. We all agree. We all want to have a good experience. Like, we all agree on this, right? This is interesting to me because this lady made two choices that I thought were very interesting. The first choice that she made is in this dark theater after the voice from the back had yelled up to the front saying, turn your cell phone off. What she did, she's sitting, now imagine you're the audience, she's sitting this way. She turns... And she's squaring up against the whole room. For a solid 20 seconds, she's like trying to make eye contact with everybody in the room. Who was the voice? And I'm like, me, at this point, I'm feeling a little awkward. I wanted her to turn her cell phone off. I thought about yelling, which I didn't do it. But now I'm kind of sinking down into my seat because now the conflict is escalating. Here she is turning and looking at everybody in the room, giving them that look. And then she did the second thing, which just blew my mind. She turned back around and continued to use a cell phone exactly as she had been before. I was like, you got the whole room against you, lady. I mean, this is wild, crazy stuff. She's squaring off against the whole theater. And now, of course, because we're squaring off, it has to be escalated, (laughs) right? Right? So another three, four minutes go by. There's another lull. And then you hear this tromping down these steps, down these steps. And there's some lady, not the same guy that yelled out, runs out of the theater. And I'm like, I think think she's going to get the manager. Like this is, I think that's what's happening. And she comes in, runs back up the steps. I mean, you know, she ran down the steps as if she was angry. You know what I'm talking about? You just feel the body language. And so then this big manager walks in. Lady's still on her phone. And I was like kind of relieved that she hadn't put it away because we had evidence. Like, we were, like she's still on it. You can see it. He walks in and calling the manager is like the, for uh, most of us, that's the nuclear option, right? That's all we've got, right? You call the manager, you know, it's like when kids are arguing. We're like, well, I'm going to go get mom or dad, right? That's the, that's the supreme court. We've called the manager. We've appealed to the highest authority. And the manager came in, and she walked out behind him. And I have no idea what they said, but she walked in about 10 minutes later without her cell phone. Like, he had, I don't know what he did, if he was going to call the police. I have no idea what you do. How do you keep that situation from escalating? But she finally complied with the situation. And as we were leaving, she was outside the theater doors arguing with the manager. I'm like, arguing about what? You have no room to stand. So we got back in the car, and I was just like, I I was honestly, like, how do you deal with a, it's minor, right? It's minor, whatever, but it's still annoying. You know what I'm talking about? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that sort of conflict without escalating it? And I asked Corinne, I said, what would you do in that situation? She was like, she said two things, both of which were very wise. The number one thing she said is like, oh, it didn't really bother me. Oh, That's a really good point. (laughs) I should let small things be small things. Hmm, very good, that's very smart. Oh, okay, that's a good one. But then the second thing she said is she goes, I just assumed she had something important that she needed her phone for. Like maybe the babysitter had texted and said, your kid's sick, or maybe her dad is in the hospital. Oh, you mean there's maybe another reason she's doing what she's doing than the one that I assumed, which is that she's a terrible human being and intent on ruining all our lives. (laughs) There may be another option. Grace, like-mindedness, humility, sympathy, gives us the ability to see different options than what we thought. There's definitely a different option or the possibility of a different option. Brene Brown in her book Rising Strong has such a good question that that we can ask in conflict, and it's this. What is the most generous assumption that you can make about this person's intentions or what this person has said about their words or their intentions? What is the most generous assumption? That's good, isn't it? That's good. What's the most generous assumption? Some of you are like, no, that's not good. You're like, what if they're being a terrible human being? What if they're being a bad person? And I'm just, what if... I mean, they punched me in the face. What am I supposed to do? Pretend like they were just dancing and flailing their arms about? Oh, you probably, you probably didn't notice my poor face there with your clenched fist when it hit it. What? That doesn't make sense. Generous assumptions. Now, I, I want to be careful because I think this is important to, uh, to, to point out when we think about this. This is not about denying reality. Assuming the best or not rushing to judgment is not about denying reality. Foster kid number one, we had gotten some raisin bran, and I don't know if this is true in your household, but if you get things like raisin bran and then Captain Crunch, the raisin bran box stays full for months. (laughs) The kids are like, "Mm, I see what you're trying to do with the raisins there. But I poured him a bowl of raisin bran and he reached in and he picked out that little black thing and I was like, oh, here we go. He's not going to want this. right? Who wants raisins in anything? Nobody. It's ridiculous. I don't know why we have raisins. Just eat grapes. Anyway, pulls out the raisin And he puts it in his mouth, and this is what he said. He goes, mmm, chocolate. (laughs) And I was like, good for you, buddy. Good for you. You will never know the terrible disappointment that wells up in us when we take a bite of a chocolate chip cookie only to find its oatmeal raisin. You will never know that feeling because you think raisins are chocolate. (laughs) Wonderful. Like you're just going to go tiptoeing through the daisies the rest of your life because you think raisins are chocolate. When we give you candy, we can give you raisins. You're like, chocolate, it's wonderful. (laughs) Getting on somebody's side is not about denying reality. It's not about calling raisins chocolate. And in fact, I, I think I should say this. I think to blindly assume the best intentions is often a way of avoiding the hard but necessary work of calling someone out for their behavior. Oh, I'm sure they didn't mean to. Well, like, look, if you really care about that person, you should find that out. But if you have a vacuum of knowledge, let's fill that with better intentions than what you're assuming. But even if all of that, even if they're being a terrible human being, even if the worst case scenario is true, then you've got to look at verse 9 in 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at this. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. When you square off, do not escalate it. When you square off with another human being and they've said something that maybe wounds or hurts you, do not respond in kind. Oh, good luck. I mean, that is impossible because it's almost instinctual. It feels like it's impossible. But this is what he says. Repay evil with blessing. Oof. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. Disciples. Those who have decided, I am going to follow Christ. I am going to live like Christ. Which is us in this room. Most of us in this room... God calls us to when someone does something evil, undeniably evil, that we repay that with blessing. G.K. Chesterton said something that I think about often when it comes to church truth. He said, it's not exactly like the Christian ideal has been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Repay evil with blessing? No, thank you. That doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound like it's going to get me what I want. That doesn't sound like it's going to teach that person a lesson. That sounds like it's going to let them get away with something. This is the reason we call this grace, is because you're responding out of kind and out of proportion to what they've done. Repay evil with blessing. That is a tall order, Christians. Now, if we're supposed to pay evil with blessing, then anything south of evil should probably be responded to with blessing as well, right? Repay difficulty with blessing. Repay annoyance with blessing, right? Repay mild frustration with blessing. Now, this is the deal. Even if your assumptions about this person are exactly right, even if they're trying to knock you down, even if they're trying to erode your faith, you still repay evil with blessing because at least taking the time to get on their side gives you the chance to walk them back to the right path rather than trying to throw rocks from a distance. Remember that picture I showed you kind of at the beginning? Jock Simple trying to knock Catherine Switzer out of the Boston Marathon? I want you to show another picture that never gets talked about in this story. This is Jock Simple and Catherine Spencer in 1972. After he had worked tirelessly to change the rules so women could run the Boston Marathon. Go back to that slide. This guy... That guy that is trying to tackle a woman to get her out of his race worked to change the rules so women could be included, officially included in the race. These two, in this picture, are squaring off. Now go to the next picture. Something happened between 1967 and 1972. One of those two decided, you know what? I'm not going to square off with this person. I'm not going to escalate. I'm going to try to ask myself the question, where are they coming from? What is going on? What are their intentions? And you know, like, we look at that last picture, and we're like, this guy is a misogynist. He hates women. That wasn't it at all. He was just told, you have to enforce the rules. And she was breaking the rules. He wanted women to run. And so he worked at it. He worked to make it happen. These two became friends. Isn't that a better outcome than that never-ending, escalating war that we, we typically have? That's the only thing that gets us, uh, that we get when we try to respond in kind. That's all it gets us, is this never-ending war. I want you to read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and the beginning of verse 9 again with me as we wrap up. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, read in the Bible tough words. We read difficult words and it's easy for us to just dismiss those. It's easier for us to think about people in this room with whom we may have conflict and just dismiss those words and go about our lives but God, I pray by the Holy Spirit that you would convict us that if we feel like we've been mistreated that we would not respond in kind, that we would respond with like-mindedness and sympathy and that we wouldn't return insult for insult, but that we would find your grace living in us and giving us the ability to express that grace to other people. Lord, I pray that we would not dismiss this truth. I pray that we would stand firm not only in the experience of grace through Christ, but the expression of grace Lord, we thank you for for being able to remind us of hard truths. Uh, And we pray that you would give us the spirit to live this out this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.